You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Hello and welcome to Line Noise once again. Uh, our guests on Line Noise this week are the classic English house duo Express 2, who have just released their fifth studio album, The. Uh, we talked about New York House, which is a I'm a massive fan of, let's say. Uh, we talked about keeping things simple, uh, working with David Byrne and Kurt Wagner, uh, and the slightly disappointing joy of getting to number two in the UK charts. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. I've really been um, enjoying the new album, um, but it has given me a kind of existential question that uh, I, I need to uh, I need to ask you about. Um, I mean, basically, nobody likes having to define their own musical genre, which is something um, I kind of expect and, and respect. But like, if you were working in a record shop and your new album came in, where would you where would you rack it? Good question. Because um, this came up uh, yesterday and the day before. Uh, I was out with my daughter um, and we were going around record shops and we were trying to find the uh, the record and it was like trying to uh, locate it um and uh but uh unfortunately they they'd sold out it was only online so that was good news but uh, didn't answer our question as to where it would actually be uh, but personally i would put it under house music um under x um um or yeah I suppose house stroke techno would probably be. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly that. I would, I, you know, exactly the same. I would, I would. It would be filed under house because it, it's not just. I don't know. It's, it's. I don't know. It's it's house, but not one particular mm. brand or blend or, or style of house. They're, they're kind of different influences and different flavors there. But we, that's where we come from. We we come from house, so that's that's where it's. Yeah, see it. Because one thing I always associate you with um, is that kind of New York sound, you know, Junior Vasquez and and things yeah. like that of the nineties. But obviously, you know, you're not you're not from New York, but you did really fit in with that sound, right? Yeah, yeah we we didn't kind of it was you know we we didn't sort of set out to to do that. Um, you know, all, all we we're, we're trying to do we we kind of loved what dj pierre was doing that whole the whole wild pitch thing um and then we also loved like a lot of the european stuff that hard floor and, and people like that were doing so it was our take on both of those two things so we tried to do something that borrowed bits and ideas from one thing and borrowed bits and ideas from the other thing and and kind of blended them together and ended up with with something else that in so doing did appeal to people like Junior Vasquez, Tony Humphreys, and, you know, all, all the other DJs that, that ended up playing the records. But, mm. it, it, you know, we we kind of liked America, we liked Europe, and, and we, we sort of sat in the middle. We kind of did our version of both of those and ended up with, I, I don't know, I, I suppose a very kind of UK, London-centric sound that then went back to them and, and kind of appealed. Mm. I think it's that, you know, that... that, that um that borrowing um, of, you know, 
like British culture borrows from America. And then we do our version of it, which isn't quite American. It's always it's always going to have our stamp on it, our kind of sensibility. And we then look at a latter day Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. Or the Beatles. Let's throw that in. <laughs> well, I see um, you've got Beatles record. You know, like you know how, you know, obviously, you know, bands like Rolling Stones, Beatles, obviously influenced by American R and B. And then they do their version. It's nothing like uh, American R and B, but it is. It stands as something else. But I mean, yeah, I mean, don't um, don't print that because uh, we would never compare ourselves to people of that stature. But you know, it's just that 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 musical history. I think is what we're saying is of where you know we borrow from America. We do our thing, and then we and then and then they and then the Americans go, wow, that's really great. And then they take it and then, you know, and it's just a constant bouncing of backwards and forwards. But, uh, but you know, as Rocky was saying, also being influenced by the rest of Europe, you know, like with hard floor experience, that, that German sound and just that whole um, European thing of having these huge breakdowns. A lot of those Italian records, you know, German records, Dutch records would have these breakdowns and then have this big drum snare roll and then back in whereas the americans tended to just sort of are very groove based if you listen to which is what we were doing at the time you know completely obsessed by dj pierre and that whole wild pitch sound and those early strictly rhythm records they were all really groove based and then we were just wanted to get that groove but also have the drama of having those arrangements where it has the big drop down and the big drum rolls like the European records. And uh, yeah, we felt like we were putting all our favourite things all into one and coming up with what we did. And did you get to play those places like Sound Factory in the tunnel in their heyday? No. We, we, went, we, you know, we went in 94, we went to the Sound Factory when, when Junior Vasquez was kind of at his, his peak. Um, so we, we went and experienced it as as punters, as dancers, um, but we didn't get to play at, at any, you know, any of those places. We we, we kind of went and, and did some parties, but it wasn't those venues. It was just kind yeah. of little uh, we, parties on the outskirts. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, we did play, uh, I remember we played at a Nervous Records party. Yeah, for- that it was just like some small club, though, wasn't it? In, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was part of those big venues where it was all kind of, yeah. you know, that, that sort of sound. But, yeah, no, we, we didn't play at any of those spaces, but we did go to them. Mm, yeah. You mentioned groove-based records. And mm. um, I remember thinking when I first heard your music back in the early 90s, um, that it sounded very easy to make. And I've subsequently, obviously, I subsequently realised that it really wasn't. But do, did you get what I mean from, from that? There's something in your music that sounds like it kind of came very quickly, very naturally, which isn't, which is a good thing. I mean, you know, it, it just, uh, yeah. like, you know, here's one sound, here's another, and kind of the, we're, we're done, you know? It, it, that's that's how we pretty much always worked and to, to a degree still do. So it just kind of go in the studio, throw a load of stuff together, 
see what kind of what things worked with each other and then you you just kind of worked with those like oh okay those five things work let's go with that so it was very much like that so we you know we didn't have any kind of we weren't kind of trained musicians or anything like that it was just going on what sounded mm. good to us and and at the time it was you know it was a bunch of samples and and kind of a, a borrowed idea for a baseline and and that was all all it was so you know it's, it's a little bit more refined nowadays but um yeah back then it was very very simple yeah, it's all it's almost like we went from like the left of the screen to the right of the screen finding our way you know like we'd have like a, a, a like a basic kind of groove and as it's going along it was almost like we were arranging it as we were going along. We'd go, oh, what, what about putting another element in this part? You know, and then it would be, you know, and I suppose the one thing that we probably had in our mind, probably a little bit further along the line, uh, when we were doing, you know, been in the studio a few more times, was we kind of knew that we wanted to sort of have a breakdown. We wanted to have that drama um, and it was all about getting a, a decent enough groove to get you to that that dramatic drop down, and then just seeing what elements we could use, like whether they were uh, kind of sounds, you know, just sort of good textural sounds, or whether it was like an a cappella, or whether it was you know like a like a you know a horn stab, you know, whatever would sort of kind of um, keep the interest going and but yeah you know it was it was simple really um i mean a good example was the first record music express which when we went in i think it was like a was it a queen constance record which is a disco record that rocky um had and we were going to do a loop, big loop bigger loop out of that and there was another something else we we're going to put with it i can't remember what that was now but it was this queen constance record which was like the bedrock of it and in the end we only used a tiny amount of it everything was sort of done you know in the moment and even when we did the arrangement uh we couldn't get the arrangement how we wanted it and in the end the engineer just gave us the whole of the mixing desk and just put uh tape on the mute buttons and had all the faders up so it would be like right after four i'll, I'll count you in and then the track's going to run with what was already up which was like the kick drum and then you just press the button for the hi-hat and that's what we did it's like a live arrangement and if you listen to the record closely there are mistakes on there um we were slightly late on uh pressing the uh, the bass and so the first note of the bass line is missing but it gives it a really nice groove because you get this sort of you know that kind of just I don't know what you call it really but it sort of feeds in and uh, it, it, it gives it a little bit of a groove and there's a couple of other elements in there if you really study it there's uh, a couple of elements that it's slightly wrong, but it, it gives it character. But it, it's very much a live mix. I wanted, I wanted to talk about Music Express, in fact, because um, as I was re-listening to it the other day, 
Um, I suddenly thought that it reminded me, well, it sounded like it was a direct influence on Daft Punk, like their sort of music track. Did, did, oh, right. did anyone ever mention that? Any? No, uh, not, not that Maybe. I can remember. Um, you know, that, there was, I, I can remember people talking about that Madonna did that track, music, that had the little, you know, the loop of her going, music, music. Um, but oh, yeah, yeah, no one really mentioned any any kind of dark no. punk thing. But um, I could, we could, you know, well imagine that they probably listened to it and, you know, they, they were big fans of Ashley. They, they yeah. kind of name check Ashley in there uh, in one of their tunes. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they had kind of listened to it and, and you know, been, been, I don't know, inspired by it possibly. Yeah. If they, they came shortly afterwards, a couple of years afterwards or something, wasn't it? And they the, that first record, Defunk, come out on uh, Soma, was it? Yeah, not yeah, ninety four, something like that. Yeah, something like that. So, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't. It's funny because when you talk about the early nineties, there's not masses and masses of records coming out. I mean, you could keep up. You know, there's probably about you know ten, twenty records per week, which it was possible to buy those records. Rather than now, it's kind of it's impossible. I mean, it's even even uh, by genre, you know, you could never keep up with just, you know, the music. So yeah, definitely they would have been able to. They were probably influenced by that because there were so many, so few records, I guess, in in the pool at the time. You know, so. Uh... The uh, is your fifth album. Um, not many dance music groups have got to five albums. And I say that excluding best ofs, you know, remix albums, that kind of that fifth sort of, you know, studio album. How did it feel to reach that that kind of milestone? Um, really thought about it, really. Um, yeah, just, I mean, we, we're always sort of checking ourselves, the fact that we, not not so much the, 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 the amount of music that we put out, but just the fact that we're doing it like in this this time right now and um and and sort of still you know um into the music and still relevant as well you know people whether they're listening to the the, the newer music and even dare i say it you know music express um we're still getting people saying that they're playing it regularly and so yeah, I think really it's not so much uh, it being the fifth album, but just the fact that um, it's just really, you know, you're kind of pinching ourselves that we're still doing it in 2023, and uh, that feels like a quite a privilege, really, because yeah, it's not everyone's able to have, you know, that 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 longevity. Um, but uh, yeah. And did you have like a plan when you sat down to do it? Do you sort of sketch out an album before, or is it more a case of like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna make an album, see where it takes us? I, I, th I think what you know, we we'd started making some tunes, gosh, about eleven years ago, twelve years ago. So we we just had a bunch of kind of ideas, sketches, um, and the label that we were with at the time said, oh, do you, you know, do you want to kind of finish these off with 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 a view to kind of 
doing an album so we were like okay cool so you know did that finished what was essentially an album's worth of tunes then i think we had about 10 tracks um and then they didn't proceed with it the whole project got dropped um and and you know the the the, the we we managed to get six of the tracks back um kind of walked away and, and did nothing with them and kind of forgot all about it really um and then it, it was only a couple of years ago we, we were talking to acid jazz about some other stuff and then this this thing popped up of, of you know these tracks that we've had sitting there for for eight or nine years now and they were like okay we, you know played them to them and they they loved them so but yeah we didn't have any big kind of game plan I don't think we ever did you know we kind of so by that point we had six tracks that that we kind of had the bones of we went back in and, and kind of you know ripped them to pieces and, and basically all we really kept from those those original recordings was the two vocals and everything else is new um and then added a bunch of new stuff as well but there was no kind of real theme or or or, or kind of great um i don't know master plan as to how it was going to sound it's it's just us making music that you know that on any given day i don't know will be inspired by another piece of music or or a part of the song that's doing something or a little bass line or something like that and you just kind of go with it so it's no no real big kind of oh we're going to write a, an opus to i don't know junior vasquez or whatever but yeah it's just we just make music and that's it yeah i think as we went along it was kind of you know, like exactly as Rocky said, you know, it wasn't any real master plan. But we had, we, we knew that we had the kind of bones of something and it was just about putting, you know, new flesh on it and and fleshing them out and, and also creating new things. And, and, uh, and yeah, we'd arrived at the studio and it was really like more like, how do we feel today? You know, um, you know, you know, feel like doing something a bit deeper other other times we go in feel like doing something like really quite in your face quite intense um i remember you know when we went in we did the track can i see the light um can i see the uh, love sorry uh, which was you know kind of like a sort of tribute to like voguing we got like a like a acapella and um, yeah it's just you know we'd arrive at the studio on a given day and it would just be We'd just be feeling, you know, this type of house or that kind of, you know, vibe. And then, yeah, and just uh, see where it took us, really. So they're not preconceived. They're not, you know, they're not written down. They're not, you know, they're just uh, in the moment. And I feel like it gives it a real freshness. You know, like there's a track called uh, Zevon, which, uh, you know, we had a rough idea for that. It was just basically... Uh, a kind of like nice disco loop and then all of a sudden we're kind of finding ourselves in that French French disco roulette slightly daft punk slight you know kind of Etienne de Creasy um, you know uh, DJ Falcon you know all those kind of that kind of 90s French house thing and um, yeah I mean that 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 happened really quickly didn't it Rock I mean that was literally just couple of hours hmm. yeah I, you you cover tones on tail on the album um which yeah. so i gotta say that's a band i didn't know but i had a friend um who is more into sort of i don't want to say goth but you know what i mean he was like oh that is an absolute classic classic goth song and you know um 
You cover it very well. How, but how did that happen? I found like I'd liked that record for a little while, like a few years, and I can't remember how I came across it now. Um, but I I was thinking about using it in a kind of Balearic kind of way, and. Um, I was doing some shows, um, uh, internet, uh, you know, like podcasts, uh, for a guy called Michael Koppelman, um, who runs the sea and he runs give me five. It's like a clothing label. And he, he, he's got this, um, like internet radio station called no wave. And I was doing shows of a friend of mine, uh, Phil Meissen was doing a show on there and he said, Oh, you should uh, speak to Michael. And I was doing like a, a monthly show roughly every or bi-monthly. And, uh, and I was just collating loads of different um, music and I was, it was kind of disco and Balearic and just finding kind of just, I don't know, oddball records. And I, I came across that tone to tales and, uh, and I, I just thought it just sounded great. I, ju- I just thought it was a really, incredible song um because i think i was listening to some bauhaus stuff i like that bella lugosi's dead i think is an amazing like balearic dub goth record really and um and then i found that track and i and i really liked it and i um i just had it in my itunes i downloaded it and uh, just had it um saved and then when we were doing the album, I was thinking, I always said in the back of my mind, maybe we should do like a cover version. I quite like the idea of um, at least one track on the album could be a cover because it's quite a good exercise, I think, to um, replicate something, you know, and then take it somewhere else. So the original, you, have you heard the original? I have now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a beatless um, ballad, goth, synth, uh, electronica ballad. And I just thought, wouldn't this be great if it had like a house beat on it? You know, and um, yeah, it turned out great. Um, and then Rocky's idea with ad- adding the acid sounds on there just think really elevates it and... Um, yeah, we've had a good good response for that one. I'm interested in the way you work with singers. Um, on the new album, there's uh, Kelly from from Block Block Party. You famously uh, worked uh, with Dieter Meyer, David Byrne, um, Kurt Wagner. Um, yeah. How do you choose collaborators? I mean, do you do you typically look for people who aren't typically house if you see what i mean i think it's it varies from from project to project so sometimes you know whatever we're doing will will kind of lead us to that that can you know that that particular person for instance like you talk about david byrne we were kind of working on the backing track and and it kind of had a bit of an 80s feel to it and i thought it sounded like prince and someone said something else and it was our engineer that said he he, oh i think it sounds like talking heads and that kind of then set set the ball rolling with that other Mm. times we you know we've kind of got someone in mind before we start so we'll we'll start doing a backing track I, i think with the kelly thing 
uh, he'd already been mentioned. So so we, we kind of made a backing track for him to 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 kind of write to. So that was how that one worked. But again, it, you know, it just varies with with from project to project. So depending on what we're working on, how it's come about, or how we've arrived at a, a particular juncture, that's that then you know leads us on to to whoever we're going to work with. Yeah, it's the same with the, the Kurt Wagner one. You know, that was uh, we were all really big fans of Lamb Chop, and in particular, an album of uh, theirs called Nixon. And um, and then we always sort of, I think, with us is that when we're choosing vocalists, we like that uh, contrast between the vocalist and the music, and you know, it's like. What would happen if you got this person on a on a, on a dance track? You know, I mean, David Byrne, I suppose, you know, was a, like a kind of natural because you know a lot of the Talking Head stuff has a club sensibility to it. Like a lot of their music we've listened to in clubs, like Once in a Lifetime and Psycho Killer, and you know various other ones. And then um, yeah, with Kurt, it was. I remember we wanted to do like a, a a kind of gospel record stroke country and um and of course straight away you know we all agreed that we liked uh Kurt Wagner's voice and uh yeah we reached out and we were able to get him that I mean that was you know that was uh, such a result because you know um that really came together well and then not only that he he helped a lot actually didn't he, he actually yeah, it was it was him that got the uh, got the choir. He he kind of contacted choir, us yeah. after he, he'd started writing the, the song, and then got in touch and said, "Hey, you know, I can I can get this gospel choir from from up the street. You know, do do you want them singing on the tune?" And we were like, "Yeah, great." So uh, that that was how that kind of came about as well. Yeah. Without mentioning names, does it ever not work? Do yes. you ever? Have it? Yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. 100%, yeah. We got quite a, quite a list of of ones that that didn't work that that are, you know kind of still there in the background, but I, I, you know I don't think we'll ever go back to them. There's there's a reason that they didn't work then, and and they probably won't work now. But yeah, there, there are quite a few that, that and some quite big names as well. But yeah, we we won't share them. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, yeah, all, all part of the process, really, you know. I mean, with someone like Kurt, I don't know him and I don't know what he knows about house music and, and that kind of thing. My idea would be he probably doesn't listen to much house music. But did, did you have to sort of, and I don't necessarily just mean him, but like with someone unexpected, do you have to sort of go, look, this is the music we make, this is the music we listen to? Or is it just like, no, you kind of do your thing and we'll, we'll make it work? Kirk actually came to our studio and sat down with us, um, and we played. Uh, they were doing some shows in London, and we and he sat down with us, and we played him a bunch of stuff, and he kind of he picked out the ones that he kind of most was most into, um, and that that was how that came about. But most of the time, you know, with with David um, and with Kelly, we didn't really, you know, we literally just sent him music and just said, look. Do your thing, whatever inspires you, whatever you can take from our music. You know, the whole thing with David is we, we told the story quite a bit, but he saw a poster for a, a night called Lazy Dog in in that that you know it was a London club that was doing a residency in New York. Saw this poster for a club called Lazy Dog. Loved the idea of people being lazy in a club, and that was where the whole inspiration came from for that. So, it, you know, 
it, we just pretty much like to leave people to 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 do their thing unless there's like a really strong idea that that we've got and and can kind of push it in in that direction but to be honest we you know we want writers to write you know we we're getting them on board because we want them it's this it, you know it, it doesn't yeah, yeah it's, it's that, that's how so it's, it's always tended to work I mean, talking about Lazy, it got to number two in the charts. I think the album got to 14. Anyway, some, somewhere pretty good. Number two in the charts is an amazing is an amazing result. Did you feel like pop stars, basically? No. <laughs> in a word. It, it was so bizarre. Yeah, yeah, I can remember thinking that, you know, everything would change. Oh, gosh, it, it, everything's going to go mad now. And it kind of didn't, you know. It, 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 we we got a few more gigs and stuff like that, but nothing really changed, to be honest. I think I think one thing that has, has probably always been in the back of our minds is what would have happened if it had been number one? Because, I mean, for us, number two is just unbelievable anyway. I mean, you know, and then I think what it was, it was such a weird um, moment because... In our wildest dreams, we could never imagine being the top 10 act, right? Or, or top five. And then when you're two, then you're sort of thinking, well, one one would be nice. One <laughs> would be amazing because one is the, the target, you know, like the ultimate. But um, I remember we were so close. Um, we were told we were just a few hundred sales. I mean, like literally like I don't, something crazy like three or four hundred sales away from being number one and uh unfortunately gareth gates uh cover version of um unchained melody wasn't it he did um was number one for a fourth week and uh so yeah that that, that was that but uh yeah it was um it was a, it was a weird moment just finding out that you were number two because we got the midweek chart telling us we were number two uh, after the first day of sales and we stayed number two all the way through. So we were sandwiched between Shakira at number three and Gareth Gates at number one. And um, yeah. And then we went, we went to a hotel um, where we had a little party and we were listening to the radio for the countdown, the top 40 and uh yeah, we ended up at two. And so, of course, we're happy with that anyway. So, the, What I've got to say is there's always a classic list. There's a list of classic number two songs, you know. <laughs> I think like Stardust got to number two and... Right. Good company. Vienna gets number two or something like that. And they always say, you know, what the song that was above that, that was above them was. And, you know, it's, it's, a good, um, it's a good list to be in, even though, you know, yeah, number yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, exactly. It's like one of those ones, yeah, where you... Yeah, you, you sometimes you do look at those old charts, and you see like number one was some commercial, you know, act, and you see number two is kind of like the caller record. <laughs> You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Cupra. 